Turn with me to 1 John 5 and verse 5. 1 John 5 and verse 5. Witnesses are important. Uh, Witnesses help to establish the truth of something that has happened, uh, assuming they're telling you the truth. Uh, And uh, they they help to establish uh, history. Uh, Much of what we know of history uh, comes about because of different people who have borne witness to one thing or another in history. Often different people in different areas bearing truth, uh, uh, bearing testimony to the truth of a a thing that has happened. Um, I I remember the skeptic Dominic Crossan saying, the death of Jesus is the most demonstrable fact of ancient history. Uh, In other words, he said, there's so much evidence out there for it, uh, I can't deny it, even though I'm a skeptic. And so, uh, this this is the nature of history. But God also bears witness. And when God bears witness, He knows all things, He sees all things, He understands all things, so He can give us perfect understanding about a situation, and especially about the issues of eternal life and a relationship with Him. So, um, the scripture we're looking at today, John is dealing with, again, some some false teachers who've come in, uh, who are denying things about Christ, uh, perhaps denying salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, as many have at different points in history. Um, and John is saying, look, he says, I've, I've shared things with you as an eyewitness. Uh, I have talked to you about evidences of Christianity. But now I want to tell you that God himself has borne witness to Jesus, who he is, and what he would do, and how salvation comes through him. So we need to hear God's testimony. I can think of any more important testimony than that. That's the title of my message, Hearing God's Testimony. So look with me at verse 5. It says, Who is the one who conquers the world, but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus Christ, he is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three are in agreement. If we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater, because it is God's testimony that He has given about His Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar, Because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. The one who has the son has life. The one who does not have the son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God. So that you may know that you have eternal life. Hearing God's testimony. By the way, before I get into the meat of this message, um, there is a, uh, if some of you, if you have a King James, you may have noticed that uh, there's a, a verse there 
that uh, is uh, that I did not read, and and uh, it actually comes from the the a note that was written in the margin of a manuscript later on in the 14th century. So this is the much, much later. Uh, the content of that verse is true. There are three that bear witness in heaven, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. The content is true, but probably wasn't part of the original text. So if you, if you, if you read over that and had a question about that, that's what that's all about. And if you have more questions, you can ask me afterwards. But um, hearing God's testimony. Uh, so what, what testimony is God making here? Well, first of all, uh, hear about Jesus' goodness. Jesus' goodness. Uh, in verse 6, he says, Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ, he is the one who came by water and the blood, not by water only, but by water and the blood. And so, uh, who came by water. I want to just kind of focus on that phrase right there. What's he talking about here? Well, there's, there's some different views of that, but uh, the one that really, I think, makes sense with what's happening in the New Testament is Jesus' water baptism. Now, you remember, John gave uh, a testimony. He said, look, you need to repent, uh, and, and you need to be baptized. Uh, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins is what John called his baptism. Of course, Jesus was sinless. So, uh, when he comes to John... He says to John, well, I don't, uh, he says, I, I want to be baptized. And John says, well, I need to be baptized by you. Why are you coming to me? He, he recognized Jesus really didn't have any sin. And so, uh, and Jesus said, well, it's, it's important to fulfill all righteousness. And so what Jesus did is he was placed under the water by John the Baptist and raised up. He showed the means by which this repentance would result in eternal life. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism is a picture of that. Listen, I'm going to tell you, the cleansing only comes through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Okay? So, but when John does this, a voice comes from heaven and says, and we know that's the Father, this is my beloved Son and whom I'm well pleased. So God is putting his stamp of approval on Jesus. He's saying, look, Jesus doesn't need this baptism of repentance because he's perfectly pure. He's the only one of history in whom I'm well pleased. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not a single one of us who's not sinned in some way uh, as, as human beings. Um, and so we're all guilty before God. Jesus, the God-man, is the only exception to that. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Divine testimony. If, if you were, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe you've listened to a, a teacher say, listen, if you hear nothing else I say, you hear this. God sent prophets and God sent uh, preachers and all of these different things. But I want to tell you something. When God himself speaks from heaven, he's saying, take notice of this. 
This is important. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So God bore testimony to Jesus' goodness. I want to tell you something. Were it not for the goodness of Jesus, you and I would split hell wide open. Jesus, in his perfect goodness, can you imagine such a man as Jesus Christ? He never sinned in his speech. He was never disrespectful to his parents. Can you imagine? I heard a comedian one time say, don't you know how hard it was to be James? You know, why can't you do it like Jesus does it, you know? And uh, poor James, he didn't have a chance, you know. Uh, but uh, he, he, never, he never sinned in his speech. He never sinned in what he did. He never failed to do what he should do. Jesus was perfect in holiness and goodness his whole life. And here's where it really gets good. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, He, talking about God, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So, to put it a different way, Paul says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified. In other words, God credits the righteousness of Jesus Christ to the person who repents and puts their trust in Him. So that God treats me not as I deserve, but as though I had the perfect, spotless righteousness of Jesus. He's clothed me in His righteousness. Now, this is why when Jesus said, it is finished at the cross, the temple veil ripped in two. Because before that time, it was dangerous to come into the presence of God for, for human beings. But when Jesus paid the price at Calvary, the temple veil was ripped. Why? Because now sinful human beings could find Christ's righteousness by which to enter into God's presence. And the way would always be open through Jesus for those who put their trust in Christ. So Jesus' goodness is something that God bears testimony to. Uh, there have been some kind of blasphemous films that have come up about Jesus and the life of Jesus at different times. And I heard a couple of weeks ago about a new one that's coming out. But listen, all of that stuff is Satan's attempt to deny the truth of the matter, which is Jesus was perfect and holy. What a, what a man. I want to tell you, there's nobody like Jesus Christ. Hearing God's testimony, well, what should we hear? We hear about Jesus' goodness. Secondly, hear about Jesus' mission. Verse 6 says, He is the one who came by water and blood. Not by water only, but by water and by blood. Uh, apparently, maybe somebody was trying to deny that Jesus had died on the cross. The people that try to do that today. Look at what, uh, look at what he says in verse 8. 
Look at verse 7. Go ahead. Verse 7 says, There are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three are in agreement. These three are one. Or these three, three are unified in their testimony. Uh, Jesus' mission was to come and to shed his blood. He said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I came into the world so that the world through me might be saved. Jesus' central mission was the cross. And God has testified about that. The first place he testified was in Genesis 3.15. Adam and Eve had sinned. They'd been cast out of the garden. And God was sharing with them uh, the consequences of the sin, the curse of sin that had come upon the world. But he gives them a sliver of hope and he tells them, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. The serpent's the devil. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. I love it. <laughs> um, that's God's prediction. And a short time later, God uh, kills a couple of animals and takes this, the skins and he covers over Adam and Eve. And the word that was used to cover them is the word that was later used, it was the Hebrew word, used for atonement. That through a sacrifice, God would cover over sin. So the very beginning of the Bible, God's already testifying about the mission of Jesus. Then you, you roll forward in history a little bit to the time of Moses. And Moses gives a, a, a detailed uh, account of what they are to do in the sacrificial system of Israel. And they had burnt offerings and guilt offerings and sin offerings and, and all these different things that they would do. And uh, the, all of these processes from the clothing of the priest to the design of the tabernacle and the materials that were used and the sacrifices that were made all pointed to the mission of Jesus Christ who would come as the tabernacle. The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Who would come as the priest, the great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Who would come as the sacrifice. Who would once and for all make atonement for sin. No other sacrifice could do that. Jesus came to shed his blood at the cross. Somebody once said, uh, Muslims believe that Jesus didn't die. Jews believe that Jesus didn't rise. And Christians believe he both died and rose. There are, quite, there are differences in the religion. I know that there are people that deny that in our culture. But there are differences. John is dealing with these same differences in the first century. The devil just takes old ideas and clothes them in new garments and tries to use them again. Trying to, to convince people that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. Listen, I want to tell you something. If Jesus didn't die on the cross, we're all in serious trouble. Jesus is called the Lamb of God. I love that. John as he sees Jesus coming for the baptism, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. That's the guy. That's the guy. That's the Lamb. You think you know about lambs in sacrifice. This is the Lamb. And, of course, Jesus died on the cross. Well, 
roll forward from Moses' day, and you get to the prophets. And you have in Psalm 22 a remarkable prophecy. And, And by the way, both Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, I'm going to talk about both of them, were written before crucifixion was even invented. And Psalm 22 says the Messiah would be pierced in his hands and his feet. That he'd be surrounded by dogs, which is what they call Gentiles. I'm sorry. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, he'd be surrounded by dogs. Listen, uh, yeah, um, details. They'll cast garments. They'll cast lots for my garments. Psalm 22. Hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. You think that's something? Roll ahead to Isaiah 53. The last few verses of Isaiah 52 into Isaiah 53, where it talks about Isaiah 52, the latter part says that he would be raised up and greatly exalted, but first he would be wounded for our transgressions. And bruised for our iniquities. And it goes through and describes in detail not only the cross, but the effects of the cross. He says, My righteous servant will justify many. I want to tell you from Genesis to Revelation, the message is there's one way to be saved, and that's by the blood of Jesus Christ. The mission of Jesus. Yes, he preached. I'm glad he preached. Uh, it, what, a, what a glorious thing to be able to have the scriptures to comfort us and encourage us. And I love to read the gospels, especially. I've, I was thinking about this week, <laughs> kind of being distressed by what's going on and thinking about reading the Sermon on the Mount where, where uh, Jesus talks about the, the uh, flowers of the field, you know. And it, listen, listen. The, the birds, they don't worry about things, you know. And I've got them taken care of. I take care of you. And, and I was thinking about the blessing. But that wasn't Jesus' primary mission. Jesus' primary mission was the cross. He set his face to the cross. For the wrath of God and the justice of God for our sin. And said it is finished. And then rose again. So... This is God's testimony. All all of the prophets, God himself in in the book of Genesis, uh, testify to the mission of Jesus. To deny the cross is to call God a liar. So he testifies. We need to hear about Jesus' goodness, Jesus' mission. Thirdly, Jesus' gift. If you look in in verse 6, Second part of verse 6 is not by water only, but by water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. So the Spirit is the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit was active in the Old Testament. He would come upon a prophet or a king or a priest for a specific task. But nowhere in the Old Testament did the Holy Spirit come upon everybody that was a believer in God. But in Acts 2, that all changed. 
Jesus had promised he would pour out his spirit. Once he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and that's exactly what he did. And at Pentecost, the Spirit came upon all of those gathered there at that time in mighty power. And uh, the first thing they did was testify. Now, they're they're speaking. They're speaking because they've got Jews from every country around, and they're speaking in these different languages so that these Jews can hear the gospel in their languages and recognize the miracle. These are Galileans. They don't know these foreign languages. And yet, we're hearing the message of the gospel in our own language. And it was, it was a sign that God had predicted earlier in the prophets. Uh, but the Spirit's first work was to testify to Jesus Christ. And many were saved. 3,000 people were saved that first day. Put their faith in Jesus. The Spirit continues to testify in the hearts of people. I know so because he testified in my heart. I remember uh, I was minding my own business as a 10-year-old boy. <laughs> and I'd, I'd gone uh, after church. We had this thing. Uh, we were watching this evangelist on this, uh, this video recording. And uh, that's the only time in, I, I can remember in my whole childhood at that church ever doing that. But they did that one time. I think somebody was led by the Holy Spirit because I got saved because of that video. Anyway, um, somewhere in the middle of that message, the Holy Spirit just gripped my heart. And he said, that's you. You're lost. You haven't repented of your sin. You need Jesus. It was news to me. I thought I'd already taken care of that. <laughs> I, I'd walked an aisle. I kind of well, somebody else encouraged me to do so. I just kind of well, sure, you know. And I and I went for it. And I did. I kind of went through the motions of it. But my heart had never surrendered to Christ. I'd never really put my trust in Christ. And so, um, the Holy Spirit gripped my heart, and I wrestled for about a year. I wrestled with it, and ultimately came to faith in Jesus. Uh, the Spirit testifies to lost people. If you, if you don't know Christ and you sense a tugging in your heart to make that decision, that's the Holy Spirit. He's testifying in your heart. And you need to listen to that testimony. It's the testimony of God within you. Um, but the Spirit not only testifies to lost people, He testifies to saved people. Matter of fact, he testifies to the fact that we're children of God. And it's a little different situation. Uh, Whereas I felt the conviction of the Spirit as a lost young man, when I came to Christ, the Spirit came to live within me. And I know people's, we're not saved by experience, we're saved by faith in Jesus. Okay, let me just preface, preface that. But, but I knew what I was supposed to be doing, and I knew I wasn't doing it. I was living one way at church. I was putting on an act, right? I was living another way when I went to school and when I was out of the earshot of my parents. Most of the time. I, I slipped a couple of times and got in trouble. But that's another story. But uh, I knew I wasn't doing it. And I had this weight of guilt. I was carrying around this weight of guilt, and it was just so heavy upon me. 
And I remember when I finally surrendered to Jesus. And I, was, I came up to kneel. I've been struggling with repentance. And I came up and I, was, I knelt at the altar and I was just saying, God, I'm not sure I can do this. Help me do this. And he did. And, and I surrendered, genuinely surrendered to Christ and trusted Jesus uh, to save me. And it was like I could feel the weight lift. It was gone. All of the guilt was gone. And in its place was this joy. Like, boy, if I'd have known this, I'd have signed up for this a whole long time ago. It was unreal. And um, and so, uh, you know, of course, I, I haven't lived perpetually in that state of joy. That, you know, there's been fluctuations in my life. But as I've learned to walk in the Spirit more, I've had more joy. I'm going to just tell you, the gift of the Holy Spirit is one of the best things God has ever done for us. Uh, he gives joy. He gives guidance. I was talking to my Sunday school class about this in this confusing world that we're living in. Isn't it wonderful that we can follow what the Old Testament prophet said? Here's the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep his commandments. Whole duty right there. Isn't that simple? Just do what God says. How do we do that? Through the guidance, well, through the Word of God. You know, that's where we learn what, what God requires. But also through the leading of the Holy Spirit. And, and I've just been sensing God saying in my heart and life lately, Roger, you don't have to solve all the world's problems. Hallelujah! <laughs> uh, you can just do what I tell you to do today. Believe it or not, Roger, I've got it under control. You can trust me. You just do what I tell you to do. And so, uh, Jesus' gift is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit also bears testimony to Jesus. That's one of his favorite things to do. He delights to bring glory and honor to Jesus. And he delights to bring people into relationship with God. And so, uh, if you get involved... In, uh, in sharing with somebody else about, about the message of the gospel, um, the Holy Spirit can work through that and minister through that uh, in a person's life in a profound way. Um, I remember there was a young man uh, that I, I, was, uh, I was, I forget why, I think maybe I was going to the restroom or something, but I was at school, and I was walking, I was in high school, and I was walking through the hallway, and I came across this guy that I knew. I mean, we weren't close, but I, I knew him. I just felt like I was supposed to share Christ with him. I don't know. It's probably I would have gotten, I don't know, I might have got in trouble for that if I if they'd known that I wasn't going straight to class. But I just kind of walked into a room with him that was empty and took about three minutes, shared my testimony, talked, talked about the gospel, and then went on my way. And I forgot about it. I mean, it didn't take long to forget about it. Months later, he wrote in my yearbook, thank you for all the, the, the talks we've had about God. I thought, he's still thinking about that? What is, what's up with that? I couldn't believe it. I was like, I mean, I spent three minutes with a guy. He's still thinking about it. It's the Holy Spirit. You see, because there was somebody else speaking to his heart that day, and it was more than just a chance encounter with somebody. This is Jesus' gift, the Holy Spirit.
he testifies and he testifies to the truth of what God has said and what Jesus has done at the cross. So, hearing God's testimony, what should, what should we listen to? Hear about Jesus' goodness, Jesus' mission, Jesus' gift, and Jesus' life. I love this. Verse 10. The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his Son. Eternal life. Verse 11 says, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is Jesus' testimony, but it's also the Father's testimony to Jesus that eternal life is found in Him. It's in a person. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't saved because of some psychological situation. Okay? I've heard people say that, you know, skeptic. Well, you just had some kind of a psychological thing happen in you, you know. No. I was saved because the living God came to dwell in my spirit. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. He said, Nicodemus, I know you're religious. You're a good man. Matter of fact, you're the teacher of Israel. But Nicodemus, you must be born again. It's got to be a new birth, a new life within you. Jesus later said in John 10.10, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Full, meaningful life. And yes, irrespective of circumstances. I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of crazy nonsense going on in our culture right now. Can I tell you, you can still have God's joy. Ask Paul and Silas, they were singing in the jail. Ask Stephen, whose face radiated with joy. As he looked up, being stoned to death for preaching the gospel, looked up and he saw Jesus at the right hand of the Father. They, they said his face was just glowing like an angel. He was so full of joy. I want to tell you something. The world didn't give you your joy, and the world can't take it away. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Augustine, years ago, <clears throat> centuries ago, said there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man that's empty until Jesus comes to fill it. This is the life that Jesus brings, and it's life that is tied to a person who comes to dwell within us. His name is Jesus. Um, so, <clears throat> you said, I thought Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Well, yes, he is. <clears throat> he's, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. But Jesus is also God the Son. And because Jesus is God the Son, Jesus is omnipresent. He's here right now in this building. And so Jesus can be both in us. I love what Paul says. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. 
And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. This is the life that God bears testimony to. Uh, He says there's only one place to get this life, and that is Jesus Christ. How do you receive this eternal life? Well, Jesus says, repent and receive. Okay, Both of these things are acts of faith. Okay, That's why some places he says, believe, trust, faith. All these are the same Greek word. Um, it takes faith to turn from your sin your own way to follow somebody completely, to make that kind of a commitment. Somebody once compared it to saying, I do, in a wedding ceremony. Big, big ramifications, right? Uh, I remember my mother said, well, before you get married, keep your eyes wide open. After you're married, keep them half shut. And, uh, uh, but, you know, keep them wide open because once you, once you make that commitment, that's a lifetime commitment. Uh, it, it takes some trust, doesn't it? Uh, so you make that commitment to Christ and that you surrender to him. But then you also receive him into your life. And John 1.12 says, To as many as received him, to them gave he the right to be called the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. So if you would like to make that decision, to repent of your sin, and to receive Jesus, you can just pray. The specific words are not as important as the attitude of your heart. You can pray a prayer something like this. Dear Jesus, I've sinned against you, but today I choose to turn from my sin to follow you, and I surrender to you, and I receive you into my life, and I trust you to keep your promise and to save my soul. If that's your heart, I can tell you on the authority of God's word, he'll give you eternal life. Uh, I encourage you to do that today, and I encourage you to let us know, to make it public. Uh, and you can, you can do that. We're not doing invitation time because of the virus and everything. But um, let me know if you make that decision so we can pray for you. I've got a list of people who've come to Christ that I pray for. And I also have materials that I can share with you to help you grow in your walk with God. If you're here today and you know Jesus Christ, um, remember his goodness. Whatever may be happening in your life right now, God is good. And he hasn't forsaken his people. Um, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were among the captives that went to Babylon, and yet God took care of them. They were part of a wicked nation that was being judged by God, yet God took care of them. He promoted them. He provided their needs. He defended them against Nebuchadnezzar, who tried to put them to death, or released Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And um, there was a fourth in the fire. I don't have time to get into that. Boy, I could preach a message on that. I kind of get excited thinking about it. That fourth was Jesus Christ, by the way. So, uh, remember God's goodness, and remember Jesus' mission. You know, 
You and I, we're given a unique opportunity. People are confused. They're anxious. They're struggling right now. And we can point them to the one who can bring some peace and joy in the middle of all this mess and who can bring eternal life. And the hope of a place where these kinds of things won't take place because there will be no sin in the new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. Can you imagine such a place? I don't, I don't even think I could wrap my head around that. It's just too awesome to even conceive. But it is going to be a reality for those who know Christ. So remember that and keep trusting Jesus in this time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the, the way that uh, you speak to us and draw us to yourself by your spirit. And Father, if there's someone here today that is struggling uh, with whether or not to surrender to Jesus, I pray they would do it today. Uh, and uh, Lord, uh, have your way in us as a body. Use us to be lights in this world that is so dark. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, if, if somebody needs to talk to me about uh, making that decision to have a relationship with Christ, I'll be here at the front. You just grab me. If I'm talking to somebody, just shake on my arm and say, hey, I need to talk about Jesus. And I will break off the conversation, okay? And we'll, we'll talk to you. God bless you, and have a great afternoon. have not had a godly father, can come to faith in Jesus. And uh, Father, I just pray that uh, for any who don't know Christ today, they make that decision to repent of their sin and put their trust in Jesus Christ. Give them the strength to do so right now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to encourage you today. Uh, fathers, I've, I've given you a whole lot to think about uh, just to, I just want to encourage you to be available to God to be used in your family. If you're willing to say, Lord, I'll be used. Show me what to do and I'll do it. Help me out and I'll do the best I can. I'm saying yes to you right now. If that's your heart, I'm going to just encourage you to say that to God right now between you and God. Let him know what your heart is. And ask God to give you the grace through the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. If you're here today and you don't have a godly father, I want to encourage you to pray for your father. If he's lost, pray for his salvation. Uh, if he's saved but he's away from God, pray that God would bring him back. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, can I tell you, you need a heavenly father. I want to tell you something. Our fathers age and ultimately they go to be with Jesus if they know him. But our Heavenly Father will never leave us or forsake us. And uh, if you don't have that relationship with God, you don't have eternal life. The good news is that though you're a sinner and you've sinned against God, God sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for our sin at the cross. Took the penalty upon Himself. Even though He had lived a perfect life, He died on the cross for our sin and then He rose again. And the Bible says because of what Jesus has done, we can be forgiven, adopted into God's very family, and given the gift of eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you're here today and you're a father who wants to be a better father and have the Lord helping you in that role, 
or if you're a wife or a child who wants to have a heavenly father, uh, I just want to encourage you right now where you are. If this expresses your heart to say, Lord, I choose to turn from my sin in my own way to follow Jesus. I receive the gift of eternal life in simple trust in Jesus' promise to give it. And if that's your heart, if you pray sincerely from your heart on the authority of God's word, I'll tell you, he'll save your soul and he'll change your life and he'll be your father. And uh, we are dismissed. May God richly bless you. Catalyze me. Set me afire uh, once again. And, uh, and, and let the love of God motivate you to serve. And listen, uh, we are, I believe the uh, Bible says perfect love casts out fear. We just read that scripture here a moment ago. And it is true that we don't have to fear the eternal punishment of God as his children. But there is a sense in which the fear of God is a reality in our lives, right? I mean, because God's our father and he disciplines us out of love. Not giving us what we deserve, but to correct us and bring us back into line. Uh, but uh, but I, I'm just I'm grateful that uh, that that God is with us in the sense that we we don't have to serve just out of fear of God's discipline. We can serve out of a heart of love, and that's the best way to do it. And when you serve out of a heart of, of love, and you're being obedient to God in your service to God, that service can become a joy because whatever it is you're doing, it doesn't really matter what the the particular service is. Uh, it might be a service of prayer, intercessory prayer for others. It might be a service of encouragement or of uh, just acts of service, uh, whatever the case may be. Whatever it is you're doing, you're doing it for the one who's done so much for you. And that will bring motivation to your service. Helped by love, how does it help us? It helps us abide in Christ, prepare for heaven, relate to others and motivate for service. Uh, this is the love of God. And uh, I'm so glad that we don't have to be overcome by evil in this world. What did Jesus say? In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So we serve the one who's overcome. He has overcome. He will overcome. And he's coming back. But the Bible says this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Uh, as we trust God and as we walk in love, we'll overcome. What did Joseph say? You remember? Joseph, his own brother sold him out. Sold him to slavery. Went down, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. Put in prison. If anybody had a right to be bitter, it was Joseph. But he, did, he, he, he didn't go that route. What does he say? His brothers come before him. He says, ah, buddy, now it's come the time. It's all coming around. And you're here before me, and you're in my power. And you have no, no idea the, the trouble and heartache I'm going to bring to your life. He didn't say that, did he? He said, don't take this to heart. You meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. Don't you let this world discourage you. Don't you let this world get your eyes off of Jesus and steal your joy. We serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords.
He is in charge, ultimately, and he is coming again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the help, Lord. And not only do you give us the ability to love, but Lord, you help us through the process of loving you. Lord, help us walk in love, that supernatural love.